Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined as always by Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen. And we are a week away from the Derek Carr deadline. We are recording this here on Wednesday morning, February 8th. We all know that February 15th is the deadline for the Raiders to either release Derek Carr or they will want to have a trade in place. Of course, as we all know, they will not be able to officially execute that trade until March 15th. But trades are agreed to before that March 15th started league year all the time. So that's that's where we're at. This is Wednesday morning, and Derek Carr today is visiting the New Orleans Saints. The Raiders granted him permission to speak to the Saints, to do his due diligence, the Saints to do their due diligence on him. Um, it had been reported, uh, I think, a day or two before, that they were finally going to start letting him talk to teams if that team had agreed to the parameters of a trade with the Raiders. And so that has happened. Um, the Raiders have, you know, have some at least parameters agreed to with the Saints. And so uh, Derek Carr... Uh, I presume, as we record, is, is in New Orleans uh, hanging out with his old head coach, Dennis Allen. Yeah, man, I just I should have stayed in New Orleans when I went there, man. I was I, I flew in there to get to the Senior Bowl. I was back in New Orleans. Sean Payton trade had just gotten done. I should have known, man. I, I could have been on the ground there reporting for us. But, yeah, so I know it's it's been a lot of going back and forth and bullshitting over word in the last few days about it. But no trade is done. They just have talked compensation. That is, like, the easiest way to sum it up. I mean, ultimately, a trade couldn't get done without Derek Carr say so because he has a no trade clause. And so this this allows an opportunity to, on both ends, I mean, obviously, there's some familiarity already. Dennis Allen helped draft Derek Carr, obviously, when he was the Raiders head coach in 2014 and coached him for a grand total of four games before getting fired. Um, so they know each other a little bit. But really, I mean, this, this is about, you know, what they're going to do with this contract because, for folks that don't know, the Saints are in, in salary cap hell. They're currently $60 million over the cap. 
And so they're already going to have to do a ton of restructures along their roster just to make it possible to make this trade happen. And then with Derek Carr's cap hit next year, set to be around $33 million, they need to get that down. So they would have to, they can't field a football team unless they restructure his contract. And so if Derek Carr doesn't want to restructure his deal, they can't make the trade. And so that's really what the crux of this meeting today is going to be in terms of whether the Raiders and Saints can proceed on that agreed upon framework, I guess we want to call it. Um, And so... Who knows if Derek Carr is willing to do that? And um, I'm sure we'll find out, you know, shortly after this meeting today. Yeah, the Raiders would love to get a draft pick back in a trade rather than cut him next week, which I think is where it's probably headed. But I think today's a chance, like like Deshaun said, for the Saints and Derek Carr to get together, talk about the contract, talk about what the offense would be like, kind of get to know each other again, get reacquainted. But again, I think the contract's a key thing. Like, you know, how could they rework it? How aggressive would they be? How much money would they give them up front? I think. Um, because you were Derek Carr, I think the one reason, really, that, I mean, there's, I guess there's two reasons, but the main reason why you wouldn't just wait for a free agency next week or when you get cut to start is that you can get a better deal now. You can rework this deal now and get what you think is more money overall or guaranteed than you would be on the free agent market because the free agent market is still a gamble. You might think you know how it's going to go, but you really don't because there's a lot of dominoes that got to fall. Aaron Rodgers has to pick a team or to go back to Green Bay and other guys. So you really don't know what teams are going to be willing to do, how desperate they are. If they're not desperate, they want to wait for the draft. So there's definitely a gamble in waiting for that. And maybe this is a chance to like see, hey, if they really want me, we can make this work out now and get it done with. And if I like to fit, we'll do that. And if you're the Saints, you're like, okay, we can try to get this done now and solve this one of our issues now before we see what happens in the free agent market. Are these things likely? Probably not, but um, it is the next step in the process. You do actually now have a customer who was interested in your product, if you're the Raiders. So I think um, uh, they are, like we said, it's Wednesday right now. They're talking right now, and we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, it's just a possible, uh, another alternative outcome to what we thought was likely happening in terms of him getting cut next next Wednesday. And as far as... Derek Carr's options, you know, I, I wouldn't think that this would be up on the top of his list of teams that he wants to go to, especially after losing so much with the Raiders, you know, because when you argue with, sorry, when you look at Saints fans online, they're like, oh, you know, they'll easily be able to uh, restructure this and get under the cap, blah, blah, blah. Like they went 7 10 last year with the fourth oldest roster in the league. And they're going to have to make a bunch of moves to get under the cap. Like, it's not fine. This team is not going to be a, a fine team. And there's no Sean Payton in the building to, you know, guide this offense into respectability with lesser parts. You know, I think they might be able to field a, a, a decent defense next year. But, I mean, Michael, Th- you know, one of their best offensive players, Michael Thomas, probably is not going to be on the team next year because I don't think they're going to pay out that contract to him unless they make a major restructure. So this is not a great team to to come into for a quarterback, you know. So I don't know. Maybe he feels like he's wanted by the Saints, and maybe that'd be enough to convince him to restructure and agree to waive that no trade clause. But this is not a great option to go to. I, I think if you're Derek Carr, so you know if you do care about winning and you, you might want to take a chance on lesser money and want more options available to you, you know, waiting until that cut date might be your best option if you're Derek Carr. Counterpoint, he immediately becomes the best quarterback in that division. 
And I mean, that division is terrible. He would walk from, you know, we spent last offseason talking about, is he the worst quarterback in the AFC West in this stacked division? If he goes to the Saints, he walks in and day one, he's the best quarterback in the division. And you know, with Tom Brady retired, like who, who are you taking in that division? I mean, we, you know, maybe the Panthers can, can kind of take that next step. Um, yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I mean, he walks in and he's immediately the best quarterback in the division, at least for now, and gives them a chance in, in, in a really bad division. The Sam Darnold disrespect is crazy right now. <laughs> I would say that the path to the playoffs is much easier in that division than the AFC West, uh, you know, off rip. But the Saints, it's a situation where they can't really it's not it's not going to be a teardown for them to get under the cap because they can't like the way that their dead money hits are set up. Like if they cut these guys and a lot of guys, if they trade them, like they don't get any salary cap relief. In many cases, it just makes it worse. And so uh, I guess the you know, appeal to Carr could be that, you know, the makeup of the team is pretty much going to be the same, except for he's inserted in it. And I'm sure he thinks enough of himself that he, he believes he's better than Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston to, you know, if you get to nine wins in that division, or was it the Bucks that won eight last year? Eight or nine wins can probably make the playoffs. And if they were a seven one team last year, a pretty significant quarterback upgrade can, can get you to that threshold. And in addition to whatever they did in the draft, because, any compensation for this is, is at best it's going to be some sort of centered around some sort of day two pick. And so it's not like they'll still have that first round pick. Um, and so there's there's a way for him to envision being able to compete, maybe not for like a championship or anything, but this is going to be a multi-year thing. You know, I mean, he has three years left on his deal. They would probably add on a couple of years to that to spread out his cap hit, I would imagine. And so he's not going he's only you know, 31 years old. So he's not going there just for you know, trying to win next year, but, you know, having some faith that the organization can become a winner um, over the course of the next few years. And so teams that need a quarterback, like among them, like there there aren't any, I wouldn't say there's like a plug and play, go win a championship next next year team out there outside of maybe the, the, the 49ers or something like that. But so he's, you know, among the options that he has, I don't think this is like a step down from any of the others in terms of his ability to, to win with the team. Maybe he loves gumbo. They got the best gumbo in the world there, so it's also a reason. I mean, in terms of what it means for the Raiders, uh, to Sean, you mentioned, I mean, it's probably a, a day two pick at best, um, but that's better than nothing. And so uh, you know, I, I think if you were to talk to Dave Ziegler a week ago, he probably was expecting nothing. So now there there's maybe a chance to get a little something. And we've discussed it before, like, okay, if they don't get anything for Derek Carr, is that a mismanagement of their assets to have, you know, a, a top 15 quarterback that you get rid of for nothing. And, and yeah, I mean, I think we'd probably largely agree that it would be a bad uh, mismanagement of that asset to get nothing for him. Um, so, I mean, if they can get third round pick that I would imagine any kind of pick would be, you know, type something conditional that, okay, if they make the playoffs, if he starts this many games, whatever, there'd be some conditions among it that would uh, allow it to boost up to, you know, potentially to a first round pick. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see, but that's the kind of conversations the Raiders would have had with the saints before allowing him to speak with them is just like, okay, we, we don't have anything agreed to, but like, we know that you're not going to come to us and say, here's a seventh round pick and, uh, and let's go. Yeah. I mean, getting, getting something of, of any sort of tangible value is obviously better than, than nothing, especially when you have a team with as many holes as the roster on the roster that the Raiders do. And, you know, who knows? I mean, like maybe the saints are the only team that gets into the plate, gets into the mix here, but maybe this meeting with the saints, if nothing gets done today, uh, maybe some other teams try to get involved and, and make a serious offer. And that ends up maybe increasing the price a little bit for Derek Carr. And so I think that's why it's important to note, 
you know what the, the trade isn't done because you know what if the Raiders get a better offer from somebody else you know <laughs> obviously they would they would take that instead if, if it's one that Derek Carr would be wanting to do and so it's a very fluid situation obviously but it, it like you said it feels much more likely than it did just a week ago or even a few days ago that that they're gonna they may be able to get something for him instead of just cutting him for for nothing. One thing I think is ironic is that um, if you go back to when Derek and, and, and Dennis Allen were together in Oakland, I wouldn't say they were like uh, in love with each other. I wouldn't say they're like, that's my guy, that's my guy, let's get together that's in, you know, in the future and we'll uh, try and do this the right way. So uh, it's kind of weird that they're you know, back together today meeting. But it shows you, one, that Saints need a quarterback. So and Derek obviously you said would be the best guy in the division, better than the guys they had last year. And if you're Derek Carr, you need to see what else is out there in terms of the market. It gives you a first glance into what teams are thinking about in terms of your contract, maybe assessing what your market value is. Are there any other teams out there that we think could get involved in the trade market for him? I mean, the, the Jets are a team we've pointed to for a while, but it seems like they're going to wait around and see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, and if you have, if you know you have a chance to possibly get Aaron Rodgers, you're not going to jump onto anything with Derek Carr. You're going to, Carr is going to be your backup option where if, if Rodgers doesn't come to fruition and Carr becomes released, then certainly you go after him in free agency. But it obviously would help the Raiders' situation if there was a second team that got involved in this and, and you could create some kind of negotiating uh, uh, leverage. But uh, anybody else that out, out there that you expect might get involved in this uh, this discussion? It's, it's tough because like some of the other teams, they you know may be waiting for Aaron Rodgers to stop sitting in the dark for a week, like the Jets. So like if you still, st- still think you have a chance to get Aaron Rodgers, like – why would you, you know, commit to Derek Carr? Um, you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of tricky. It's tough to really say. But I guess it's possible if somebody else gets in the mix. But it seems like it's pretty – We haven't. You know, I haven't heard anything. I don't know about you, Vic, but it's, it seems like it's pretty much Saints or Bust here right now. Yeah, maybe it's the other teams at division. Maybe the Bucks. you know, want to get involved. The Panthers, if they think they're on a similar you know, boat as not, not being sure who they can get in the market and maybe able to get a chance to look at Derek now. But um, – yeah, I think and it's a lot of questions. Like you mentioned Rodgers. I think the other one that I'm, I'm really curious about is what's the market value of um, Derek Carr versus Jimmy G? Like, how do teams view those two guys? I think um, I imagine they're pretty split, but that would also be a key thing in trying to determine, you know, how many teams want Derek Carr if they're actually looking also at maybe Jimmy G as a possibility. It'd be hard to view Garoppolo and his lack of durability as a guy that you can just rely on. I mean, I, I think if you go in with Garoppolo, you just – you're almost banking on there there being a high likelihood that he's going to miss time. And, and that would be, to me, the biggest difference between Carr and Garoppolo is, I mean, yes, Garoppolo has been a winner, but, you know, how much do you attribute to that to the team he's had around him, the coaching he's had around him? Whereas Derek Carr, he, he's always available. He's basically always been available. And so I think that durability, um, when you're talking about a quarterback, I mean, we all know like, quarterback injuries derail seasons. And um, that's been the, the one thing about Derek Carr. I mean, except for, of course, the, the 2016 season when his injury derailed the Raiders' postseason hopes as he has been out there and he's been available. I think like a, a fantasy situation for Raider fans would be to work some sort of thing with the Green Bay Packers if they're trying to um, get Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it, it seems unlikely, but, you know, this is all the weird signaling that's been happening with uh, Rodgers and Adams and all these other weird reports about you know, Rodgers demanding it or asking to get traded to the Raiders. And, but I'm just looking at teams, possible teams, even though they're might not seem likely, maybe the giants, if they decide to move on from Daniel Jones, I think any team from the NFC South is a possibility. 
like you said, the Bucks. I mean, the Falcons. I think he would fit in that offense. Panthers, possibly. Yeah, there's teams out there. Just in terms of, are they willing to give up compensation for? That's the thing, because like some of those teams, like the Panthers, for example, like they might be in a position where they could use that that those picks to trade up to try to draft a quarterback. And and so if they can't get Carr, you know, for nothing, like you know, signing him to a contract isn't nothing. But without giving up draft capital, they may view that as you know him, him as an option to sign, but not to trade away assets for. Um, and so that's going to be the thing. And that obviously that varies. But the Falcons are another team that's close enough to where if they want to go draft a quarterback, they could. And so the Bucks aren't. So maybe the Bucks are a more realistic team for that. But the time frame is something that's makes it a little bit tougher for this to become something that dra- dra- drags on and, and becomes a multi-team thing. Because I mean, it's just, it's only a week left, and so like, I mean, obviously, you know, Derek Carr can, can fly around, I guess, but they don't really have much time to work with when it when it comes to finding a resolution here. You know, I know one thing that a lot of people have you know, kind of thrown out there as like, oh, what if this happens is the idea that what if the Raiders agree to a trade, but, you know, they can't execute it for a month until March 15th and that other team backs out. And I mean, yes, theoretically, is that possible? But in the NFL, I mean, if you pulled that on a, on a team, I think the, it would be very hard for you as a team without new information coming out, without Derek Carr suddenly like going golfing and, and you know tearing his, his shoulder up or something like that. If you pulled out without new information happening, uh, what that would do to your kind of standing in, in the league in terms of uh, an executive trying to make deals, I think would be uh, would be pretty prohibitive. So, I mean, I, I don't. That that should not be considered to be a a real threat. Whereas if they agree to a deal with this with the Saints, that oh, suddenly on on March seventh, the Saints are like, nah, eh, never mind. Yeah, and also if if they agree to a trade, then they would. I mean, they have to. They would they would extend, especially if they're going to restructure his contract. They would extend that deadline from February fifteenth to probably March fifteenth. Um, and so in theory, you know, after Carr makes that adjustment to his contract, if the team is all of a sudden saying, no, nah, we don't want to do it. Then they could just cut him, then and and walk away, still not owing him that that forty million that we're talking about. Like the Saints, for example, they literally cannot do this trade unless they restructure his contract. So they're going to have to move that deadline just because they have. Like there's 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 no way they can allow that forty mil to kick in and still make the trade happen. And so that's another part of it is like there won't be a situation where even if a team does back out, like yeah, they won't get anything for Derek Carr most likely, but. They won't be like stuck on the hook with that money, which is, you know, the whole reason why they're they're making this decision to try to trade him um, before that deadline comes. And so that's another reason outside of the honor code thing. It's also something that that practically um, they, they can't really end up stuck um, with this money in this situation. I think if a team were going to trade for him, I think they have to agree to trade now. I don't think the car camp is going to extend the deadline past the 15th. So I think you would in principle. They have to like for the. Uh, the salary cap reasons like it it would they have to make it 15th because they can't execute the trade until the 15th per, per right but i'm saying that the contract would just go to the, to the team that's acquiring him i, I don't think the cars are going to set that up where you can have a team back out of the trade and then so we'll see what happens but uh, i don't think the, the deadline's going to get pushed back as far as allowing teams to get off the hook so i just think that if you if you trade for him now you trade for the contract, which you've reworked ideally with him in the next seven days, and you, and you go forward. But it's happened before. Alex Smith happened the same kind of way. So I think it's there's um there's not a lot of precedence for teams backing out of deals. 
Yeah, they just have to like agree to obviously they would whatever restructuring it, it would be, they would agree to that now, which just naturally changes because that, that forty point five million or whatever it is that would kick in just it wouldn't happen because the contract would be a, a different contract. So they they would be essentially moving the deadline in a sense um, to get a trade done. That's at least from my understanding. That was always a thing. Like if they have a trade in place, agreed to, Derek Carr wants to go there, they'll push it back in order to get it done. But they weren't just going to push it back just to give the Raiders more time to negotiate and haggle and try to search for something. So that, that was the difference um, on his end, but we'll see. That's what they're uh, meeting about today in New Orleans. We got any fresh thoughts on what this means for the Raiders future at quarterback? Um, I mean, Devonta Adams, uh, I think Ted mentioned, is having a lot of fun uh, messing around with, with the whole uh, Aaron Rodgers situation. And uh, you know, what did he say? He's, he, he, he loves to troll. All time uh, first team troll. And uh, I mean, who knows? You, know, you never know what could happen. I mean, last year we didn't see Devontae Adams coming to the last minute. So I mean, but it looks like who knows what? Like you said, like with the Jets make a big offer for Aaron Rodgers, and uh, if the Packers are planning to have him back. But um, to me, I think people are saying that the new, um, you know, the new narrative is that it wouldn't cost much to get him in trade because you know they want to get rid of him, they want to go Jordan Love, yada yada yada. But I still think the guy won MVP what twice in the last three years. You still have to give up. And you told us he sucked. No, no, no. What kind of flip is this? No, no, no. I think he's. I think he sucks. That suck. That's not, I didn't say wow. that. We'll say for wow. your guys' purposes. We'll say I said that. Fine. But I'm saying, in terms of his trade value, you still have to give up at least a first round pick, if not more, for him. Like, you're not going to get like people are saying. Oh, you get like a mid round pick because they want to move on, but. It's going to cost you not only reworking this deal and paying him a lot of money, they still have to give up some premium draft capital, which to me, if I'm the Raiders, that part doesn't make sense. If I have all these holes on my team. Like the Tom Brady thing was one thing, but that was a free agent signing. Now trading a pick for a guy who's 30, was he 38, 39? I forgot how old he is, but I don't think that – I know you want to win now, but I'm not sure you can win now with that roster if you're giving up first-round picks for an old quarterback. Yeah, I think the only way you could do it is if it's next year's first-round draft pick because I think the seventh overall pick is much too high of a price for a guy that might only play one year. Next year's first-round pick matters. It's probably a better deal because if you know you are winning with Aaron Rodgers, it ends up being a lower first-round draft pick, and obviously you would have to add some other picks to that, maybe a player. But yeah, just... Trading the seventh overall pick for a guy that is coming off a down year is going to you know contemplate retirement after the season in a dark room. Like you know, it just doesn't doesn't make a ton of sense. And you have the opportunity. Is it, is to, it a dark room or is it a cave? Oh, it was a cave. It's a cave, it's, right? It's a black it's hole. Actually. It's a black hole. Ted, you're in a dark room. What are you contemplating right now? I'm with Aaron Rodgers right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> The other part is even let's say they give up whatever the Packers are asking for draft capital wise because of the way his contract is set up. He has an option bonus for over fifty eight million dollars that they would have to pay him this year. Like his cap hit wouldn't be fifty eight million dollars. but They would have to have that cash. And uh, I don't know if y'all been paying attention to saying? the Raiders uh, way they've structured their contracts as of late. But having fifty eight million dollars on hand does not seem to be uh, something they they have. So. <laughs> How about, you know, maybe he, he said he'd be open to restructuring his contract a la Derek Carr to, to make something work. But I don't know how much lower he, you know, you know, I don't know if he's just completely kicking that bonus to the side or anything like that. So there's, there's multi, multiple layers that make that 
relatively unlikely. In my opinion, it just seems like they're heading, headed fast towards drafting a quarterback, especially if they are able to get some extra compensation for a car that would make it easier for them to theoretically trade up if they have to, to go get a quarterback or, you know, be able to take a quarterback that high and still address some of their defensive needs later on in the draft. Um, so that seems to be the most likely outcome still to me and, and pairing a rookie with some sort of stopgap quarterback that's cheaper than even a Jimmy G would be. But for me, it's, it's, it's like the Rodgers thing seems relatively unlikely because of the draft compensation and the, the contract part of it. Um, but even like, let's say if they sign somebody like Jimmy G, I think they would go elsewhere in the first round because it, it would just seem like a lot to double down on paying Jimmy G, let's say, 20, 25 million dollars and then drafting a quarterback in the top 10 and paying them that much money to sit on the bench because you're not paying Jimmy G that money unless you think he's going to start next season. When they have that many needs on defense and the offensive line, that just would seem like a lot to invest in position when one of the guys just isn't going to play. So if they go like a Jimmy G route, it seems more likely they wait until later in the draft to take a developmental type quarterback. So there's multiple avenues here. They definitely they, they've the takeaway is the Raiders have kept their options open at quarterback. They're not backed into a corner. Um, they're flexible to go a veteran or rookie or a rookie and a veteran. And so. That's a good thing. It doesn't guarantee that they end up, you know, making the right decision, but at least they have several paths they can take. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, well, just a reminder, we are recording this here Wednesday morning, so um, by the time you're listening, Derek Carr could be a a saint, he could be a buck, who the heck knows where Derek Carr is, but... um, 
as of Wednesday, visiting with the Saints, and so we will uh, certainly be monitoring that. Um, if a trade happens, uh, we will very likely pop on and do a, a live room and, and chat with Raiders fans about what uh, what Derek Carr's trade means to them and uh, and the next steps for for the Raiders. But um, for now, we do want to pivot and uh, we want to spend. The last uh, bit of this show, talking a little bit about a project that Tashawn has been working on for about over a year now. It will debut next week on the Athletic Football Show feed. It is a narrative podcast called Between the Lines that looks really at the history of the black experience in the NFL. It goes back to segregation and you know what it took really from the AFL to help the NFL integrate and goes all the way through to the present day. Uh, the situation with minority coaching in the league, uh, Colin Kaepernick and um, activism across the league. And, and Tashawn, just kind of walk us through you know, really what the, the biggest things were that you learned just in, in talking, doing all the interviews you talked to, I don't know how many people, a ton of people, you know, throughout the past year uh, in, in producing this podcast. And, and kind of what were your biggest takeaways as, as you worked on this project? The biggest thing was, you know, the NFL's 100 plus year history of basically failing to handle diversity and race properly is it's it's multifaceted like obviously particularly with the the hiring cycle we you know or many of us you know peg peg in on on the owners you know it's their fault you know not making the hires and not wanting to change but it, it really is a top-down thing i mean from gms you know maybe not putting black and diverse individuals in positions where they can elevate to, to gm roles or Head coaches, oftentimes, even black head coaches, they don't hire black offensive coordinators and quarterback coaches, which have started to become the positions that lead to head coaches, head coaching jobs more than anything. There's a lot of black defensive coordinators, but teams really haven't been hiring too many defensive minded coaches. And so if there's an onus on them, even on the, on the player side, um, you know, them being willing to wield their power and their leverage and speak up, speak out about these topics, whether it's social justice and things in the real world or the lack of diversity among the coaching ranks, you know, that started to shift a little bit in the wake of Colin Kaepernick and in the push that happened with George Floyd, but there's still room to grow for them in that area. And so if, it, if it's going to change in terms of, you know, the, the league failing at diversity and, and to handle race properly, it's going to have to be a collective effort. Um, it can't just be one piece of the puzzle making the push. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to fall apart and, and revert to back to what it's always been. And so uh, whether that happens, you know, who knows? Probably not <laughs> based on like what we've seen so far. But to trying to identify that some kind of hope for it to happen, that it's going to have to be a league-wide effort. And that was my takeaway from the podcast and and sort of, I guess, you know, throughout its five-part run, you know, sort of see what needs to happen for the for the league to get to that point in theory. And so their hands probably going to have to get forced to get there. I mean, we, we see what's going on now with Brian Flores, his ongoing class action lawsuit against the league. We have seen certain situations like with the Washington team name where sponsors have been willing to get involved to, to make things happen. And so I think it's going to take something like that to spark it. But there is sort of this this pathway that you can think of. And the podcast is, is basically laying that out by looking at every every layer of the uh, the league's organizational chart. The podcast does debut, like I said, on Tuesday, February 14th on the Athletic Football Show feed. It will run uh, five episodes uh, over the next four weeks. Uh, a new show every Tuesday with uh, on uh, March 7th, the last two episodes will come out. We'll, uh, we'll get those last two episodes out right before uh, NFL Free Agency kicks off. 
Yeah, that's some really good stuff in that first one about uh, like the stuff about Doug Williams's contract negotiations. That was very interesting. I thought. I'm, I'm wondering in all the interviews you did, was there one that kind of stood out to you? Is your is like the guy you were looking forward to talking to, or you were really excited about talking to? I think somebody that surprised me was was Jason Wright, the Washington team president, just because of all the things that. <laughs> they continually have since like every week they have some kind of new scandal popping up over there. I kind of expected him to be pretty bottled up and, and kind of reticent to like discuss things candidly, but he was like extremely open and honest about whether it was his personal journey and some of the things that he's gone through as a black man, who's a former player, uh, his, his experiences going into the business world and how that compared to, you know, him trying to navigate this executive world on the NFL side. In addition to, you know, when he was hired, there was a lot of talk about him being a token and just Washington trying to get good PR and how he felt about that and how he's trying to change um, the organization that keeps seemingly giving him issues to deal with every week, it seems. And so I think his willingness to speak out about it really stuck with me. And then because I interviewed him uh, over a year ago now, I believe. And at the time, he and Sashi Brown with the Ravens were the only two black presidents in the league. Really, the, the main thing from Wright was, you know, it doesn't take long to create change if you want to. And since then, we've seen three teams, including the Raiders, with Sandra Douglas Morgan hire black presidents. And so now it's at a record number of five teams with black presidents. And it's interesting to see that contrast to the head coaching ranks. Like there's currently there's only, you know, a, a handful. There's, there's fewer than the black team presidents if you if you want to lump together uh Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel, who identifies as biracial, um, even then it's still less. And so why hasn't that that willingness to hire more black team presidents, black GMs correlated to the more black head coaches? I mean, we'll see how the cycle wraps up. The Cardinals and the Colts are still making their decisions, but uh, it doesn't seem like we're going to have a sudden breakthrough year here or anything of that nature. And so that probably stood out the most to me because, I mean, Doug Williams, I sort of, you know, I mean, he's Doug Williams. Like, why wouldn't he, you know? sort of open up. But I think him, Jason Wright, still you know, having that type of position in the league and with that franchise in particular, being willing to speak out on it um, definitely jumped out to me. We rightfully put a lot of pressure on, on the owners because they so often are the ones that, that make those hires. But should we be applying some pressure to some of the successful teams out there that it should be a responsibility of theirs to, to make sure that they are putting these guys in position? I mean, you look at you know the minority head coaches that we do have out in the league, and the 49ers have been a good example of a team that has produced, you know, now uh, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryans, you mentioned Mike McDaniel uh, being biracial. They've produced two black GMs now in uh, Martin Mayhew with Washington and Rand Carthon with uh, with Tennessee. Should part of the pressure be on like, hey, you know, if you're running a successful organization, like you guys need to make sure that you're promoting some diverse candidates. So you because those are the teams that are going to help bring about that that candidate pool i mean people aren't going to want to pluck from you know the also round organization so these teams that are winning like it's good when you see that they are you know being intentional about putting minorities in those positions you know we always know bruce arians very specifically like i have all three of my coordinators are black and that was intentional um those are the things that you would you would hope kind of would help you know really just give the league a chance to become more diverse. Yeah, I think for sure, because it, it creates a trickle-down effect. And that's something that, you know, Jason Wright talked about on the business side, um, you know, not just him, but, you know, a lot of people, you know, on, on his side of the operation are diverse, um, not just black people, but women and people from other backgrounds and sexual orientations and, and whatever it may be. At the coaching ranks, Ron Rivera, I talked to him about it. Um, and as he said that was something he had to learn was sort of the importance of emphasizing that and being intentional about it. Because if you just sort of stay in your box, in your zone, uh, people that you know and people who look like you, 
it's, it's not just going to magically happen. You know, the whole just hire the best candidate thing like that doesn't those numbers aren't going to flip unless you're intentionally looking and trying to create those relationships with people. Like you said, we, we've seen certain organizations. I mean, it's not going to happen that consistently at that high of a level unless they're being intentional about it. I mean, we like Kyle Shanahan, we saw he just hired Steve Wilkes as a defensive coordinator. You know, right after losing D'Amico Ryan's, you know, for a head coaching job to to the Texans, and I'm not saying that's the only reason why he ha- hired Steve Wilkes, but for that to happen as many times over and over and over, it's, it's clear that, that, that that's a focus there, and it's, it's really nothing stopping head coaches across the league or GMs or team presidents from doing the same thing and, and creating an organization that's more diverse, more inclusive, and helping push it forward. And so, given that there's no excuse, that just makes it even more damning that damning that you know the issues persist at the rate that they do and so hopefully ideally like you know i mean i think it helps for it to be a team teams like the bucks and 49ers that you know the bucks won a super bowl doing things that way the 49ers have made super bowls and, and are in the playoffs you know and making it deep into the playoffs while doing the thing and, and having these all pro players pop up on their team so it's not like they're just doing it you know, some situations like let's say the Texans last year with with Levy Smith, and you know he had a black offense coordinator, and the team was terrible. You know, and maybe that hurts. But you also have these teams, or even the Dolphins with Mike McDaniel and, and what they're doing, and Chris Chris Gear is a, a black GM, and so you have these examples of not just teams just having black people in positions of power, but having that and also being successful. And so it's showing that it puts aside those stereotypes that they're not capable or that these are just token hires or you're just doing it like. You know, just have somebody look different, you know, in the room like, no, these people can do to do it at a high level. And that's even at the player level. I mean, we we see, you know, the Super Bowl, obviously, this week we're having two black quarterbacks face off for the first time ever. And while it's notable, it's not necessarily surprising because there's so many of the league's top top and most highly paid quarterbacks are black now. And so there's just so many examples of people being capable to fill these roles that that's really no there there are no excuses anymore. People just have to, to want to do it. When you look at the trend throughout the league, more coaches from the offensive side of the ball get hired to be head coaches. And it just doesn't seem like there are a ton of black coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Did you look into that? And is there like a crop of you know young black coaches that are kind of getting hired on the offensive side of the ball or, or in line to? No, not really. Um, and that's a lot of the issue. I mean, like, Two of the black offense coordinators got fired last year. Marcus Brady with the Colts and then Byron Leftwich uh, with, with the Bucks got fired. And so now I believe there's only like Eric Bieniemy, And then because Pep Helmonton obviously isn't going to keep the Texans offense coordinator job. I think it's just Eric Bieniemy right now. Like apologies if I'm wrong, if I'm, if I'm forgetting somebody. And he doesn't call plays, which is another thing that isn't always held against offense coordinators who get head coaching jobs. But it tends to be held against the black ones. Like, you know, we, we see a lot of guys come from the McVeigh tree or the Shanahan tree, et cetera, get these jobs without calling plays directly. I don't know what else the enemy could do. Like the, the Chiefs offense, I mean, as the Raiders fans are very familiar with, has been like one of the best, if not the best in the league for a while now. And he doesn't get, you know, head coaching jobs really ever. And so in comparison to black defensive coordinators, I think right now there's 16, 15 or 16 black defensive coordinators. So almost half or over half compared to just one or two um, black offensive coordinators year to year is typically what it works out to be. And so black quarterback coaches is, is not much better, if if any better. Um, and so that's part of why, you know, we had this new rule last year where, where the NFL mandated that teams had to have a diverse assistant coach on staff who is directly tied to the quarterback and the offensive side of the ball to try to maybe, you know, 
create a pipeline. But the thing is, there's already there's already you know people that are capable of doing it. They're just not getting the roles. Kind of what I was talking about earlier. So there there are black offensive minds across the league that can be quarterback coaches, can be offensive coordinators, but for some reason they just haven't been getting the shot on that side of the ball. And like I said, it's not just on you know white you know head coaches, but even black head coaches. A lot of times when they get those jobs, they don't put black offense coordinators in positions to, to lead to getting jobs on their own. And so the reasons behind that, I'm sure it varies by situation. I think a lot of it has to do with support from ownership. You know, I think 49ers, for example, I mean, York, their owner, I know they obviously didn't resign Colin Kaepernick, but when he started protesting, they did donate, donate a million dollars to social change. And, you know, I don't think it's an accident that their organization that, that allows um, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan to have a bunch of black pe- people in power when it comes to their coaching staff or executive positions or the Bucks. You know, I mean, they've had I think they've had three or four black head coaches and they haven't been around that long as a franchise. Um, and then they allowed, you know, Bruce Arians to have a staff of, you know, three black coordinators and also basically be like, hey, I'm going to pick your next head coach. This is a black guy here that, you know, failed, you know, and got fired in his last head coaching job and Maybe it wasn't ideal for them, but they they allowed it to happen. And so I think the ownership group plays a big part in, in people feeling comfortable doing that as well. You know, and that shifts over the years. It's not like for the next 50 years or they're only going to hire offensive head coaches, but it's clearly the trend right now. And so if you don't have any black people in those positions or, or very few, then you're probably not going to see consistent growth amongst the number of black head coaches. All right, Tashan, man, we really appreciate you kind of giving us a little preview of it. Uh, looking forward to it coming out. Um, as I said, uh, Tuesday, February 14th, you guys can get it wherever you get your podcast. It'll be on the Athletic Football Show feed. I'm not positive. I know there was talk about also including episode one here on the State of the Nation feed, so you might even be able to get it right here on, on your feed. But uh, make sure if you're not subscribed already to the Athletic Football Show, subscribe to that one because it will be on there uh, for the next four weeks uh, starting on Tuesday. And uh, looking forward to it. And you know, two days after the Super Bowl, it'd be a good time to uh, kind of see where uh, everything's at as we head into the off season. And I, I guess I should say, be, before we get out of here, uh, do we want to make quick Super Bowl picks? Anybody got any uh, picks in mind? Yeah, I'm going with the I'm going with the Chiefs. I'm the, I'm the bad guy here. I think the Eagles have a better roster. I, I believe they're favorite. I think they should be. But um, I think with a couple more weeks to get healthy. Patrick Mahomes, you just play like the best player in football this year. And I think I think it's going to be a close game. And, and if you have a close game, I, I tend to side with the team that has the better quarterback. And so uh, I think the Chiefs pull out a, a tight one. I've been spending the last couple of weeks just breaking down every matchup, every little piece of this game. And the Eagles have the advantage almost everywhere. And I still have a hard time picking against the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes is that good. But the one thing that the Chiefs have is that the Eagles, I mean, the uh, the Eagles have not played an elite quarterback this season. The best quarterback they've played is Dak Prescott, and, you know, he's a fringe top 10 type of guy. The Cowboys have had success against this Eagles uh, defense. So I'm going to lean on the Chiefs on this one, even though all the numbers and everything that makes sense points to the Eagles, I, I think I'm going with the Chiefs. Uh, before the playoffs, I picked the Chiefs to win the whole thing, but I'm going to change my mind. I'm going with the Eagles because uh, I think their D-line is going to be too much. I think their defense and their cornerbacks are great. I think they'll be up for the challenge of Mahomes. I think their defense will be the story of the game. I like the under more than the Eagles, but um, for me it's all about the D-line for the Eagles uh, this this Sunday. I'm not betting against Mahomes. I've got uh, Nobody else gave scores. I'm giving my score. Chiefs 27, uh, Eagles 20.
Oh, I don't know if they can hold him down to 20. Yeah, I think it'll be... I think we're going to get a higher score on one. I think it'll be Chiefs 31 equals 28. Yeah, I think that was my prediction too. 31-28. For who? For the Eagles? No, Chiefs. I got the Eagles 24-20. Ooh, both of you predicting 20 points? I mean, we got to see Jalen Hurts. You know, he... I mean, they haven't really been battle tested in the playoffs. I mean, they got a they got a Niners team that didn't have a quarterback, and they played the Giants. So, ah, uh, we'll see. All right, guys, everybody, enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. We'll be back, um, maybe be back before the Super Bowl. We'll see when uh, when things happen with Derek Carr. But uh, whenever Derek Carr is traded or released, sometime before February fifteenth, we will be back and we'll talk to you all about it. And uh, until then, have uh, have fun, enjoy the Super Bowl, and uh, make sure you guys check out. Uh, Between the Lines, uh, Tuesday, February 14th on the Athletic Football Show. All right, y'all. Adios. Later, guys. Bye, Derek Carr. I will remember you.